0: You are listening to Impact Izzo, the soon voice of Michigan State University basketball.
1: Bringing you news, updates, and more.
0: I'm proud
1: of myself to be relevant.
2: Yeah, it's snowing outside but...
3: Season 6, Episode 6, the Impact Izzo podcast is here and ready to break down for you. Michigan State basketball, the Las Vegas Invitational, of course, and then that Louisville game, and then we're going to preview some Big Ten tease season is kind of what I'm calling it. It's a little little two-game tease of what the Big Ten is going to look like this year. Coming up, loaded episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Ryan Cole. That's Julian Mitchell. That's Amanda Poole, and, well, uh... It seems like every episode now, I mean, we can't just mail it in. I mean, we've got a
2: lot to talk about, guys. Always do. You got to come with the stuff to talk about. We Got to be ready. We build it up so we're ready to chat for a long time, talk some, some sweet, sweet basketball. Sweet, sweet basketball.
1: I know. Who doesn't love to talk about Michigan State basketball and college basketball in general? Goodness. And and, and
3: this is the place for it. Yes. Team Bad Podcast. Exactly. Now, of course, you know, you mentioned college basketball in general, I mean, if you want to talk about Duke and Zion Williamson, we're not really going to talk about that because everyone's talking about it. ESPN loves talking about it. Uh, we're we're not even going to talk about Michigan too much. I mean, I think Michigan is playing as hot as any team in the country, but we're not going to get to them because uh, this is a Michigan State podcast. So let's keep it to the Spartans here as uh, we're going to go in chronological order. Now, of course, I mean, okay, let's get out of the way. Michigan State won the Las Vegas Invitational winning back-to-back games over Thanksgiving weekend out there in Sin City. UCLA, Texas, both those teams fall to the Spartans. Now, of course, Michigan State did come back, and spoiler alert, they lost to Louisville on the road. We will get to that, but we have to give the Las Vegas Invitational its due. Uh, We haven't talked about it quite yet, so Going to just briefly break that down and then I think we will dive much deeper into that Louisville loss. UCLA, Michigan State face off a top 20 matchup and it was not a game from the start. Michigan State just stomped the Bruins. 87 67 was the final score in that one. And I might argue it wasn't even that close. I mean, It was a 25-point lead for Michigan State at the half, 51-26. So as far as this one went, like I said, I mean they put the pedal to the metal from the start, and I was rather impressed with just a lot of what Michigan State did in that game.
2: Yeah, they came out really strong to start the game and went right at this UCLA team and tried to force them to defend them running out in transition in the half court against some of their bigger, more experienced guys. And to me, that's what it boiled down to. I mean, Michigan State came in ready to go, playing great defense. But it was guys like Moses Brown who just, at the moment, weren't ready and had not seen a player like Nick Ward who's playing a little bit more physical. I mean, Moses Brown still needed some weight on him, and he just got pushed around down low and just absolutely bullied. All yeah. we heard
3: in that preseason or in that pregame was how big UCLA was, and they looked small against Michigan State.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's where all the difference comes down to when michigan state came out so strong and so tough and so energetic because when you hear about losses and stuff like that you hear that the team you know they came on the second half really but you know if they would have been played like that in the first half blah 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 but no michigan state pedaled to the metal the whole time and that's what makes the difference in the end
3: against talented bigs like moses brown like you said nick ward just ate up down low both on offense and on defense uh they I mean, they were teaching lessons to UCLA. I mean, and, and I kind of predicted that as we went into that game that, yes, UCLA came in undefeated at 4-0 at the time, but Michigan State had played a scrimmage against Gonzaga and a game against Kansas, who, by the way, are number one and two in the country right now. So Michigan State has, whether it counted or not, seen the top two best teams in the country right now course Duke is you know that number three right there those are the three top dogs right they've played against two of them and UCLA was beating up on Presbyterian and St. Francis and I think that showed because once they played against athletes of you know that four-star five-star kind of mentality guys that have shots at the NBA that Michigan State has I mean it was no
2: contest it wasn't it's also one thing to say I think definitely UCLA had had some of that looking at the teams that they beat up on coming into this game, not necessarily the same experience, but I just don't know where this UCLA team is at. I, I did think this was going to be a win for Michigan state going in, mm-hmm. but I didn't expect the performance out of the Bruins that we saw, and, you know, that's going to be a question going forward with their program. Don't know if Steve Alfred's the guy necessarily anymore. I mean, he has ooh. talent in, in Jalen Hands. We're calling out Shots well, don't, don't want to, you know, specifically, but you look at that game and he's got guys like a Jalen Hands, a Chris Wilkes, uh, Moses Brown down low, and, yes, they they still need time to grow and get ready, but there are parts in that game where they just, they sh- didn't show an improvement coming out of half to me at least, and I felt like it was a lot on them. hmm yeah, And
3: I think you got to credit the Spartan defense, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first half there, like I said, it was 51-26 to half. UCLA, 8 of 33. That's 24% from the field, 1 of 11 from 3. Moses Brown was 0 for 2. Uh, Jalen Hands went 0 for 6 in that half. And Chris Wilkes, 1 for 6 in the half. So I think you got to credit the way the Michigan State just locked down. They weren't necessarily turning them over that much. But they were contesting every shot. And you could kind of tell that that just bothered UCLA from the start. And, and as we're going to get into, that's something Michigan State has struggled with the last two games, kind of getting on them right at the start. But I, I, at least we've seen that they can do that in that UCLA game.
1: Oh, I definitely think that the defense is something to point out and kind of it foreshadows how this team, Michigan State, is going to play tournament-wise and more conference games coming up. Defense is going to take them to that next level, and we saw a really, really mm-hmm. good um, kind of like what they're capable of defensively.
3: And, and the other thing was, as far as, I mean, we talked about Michigan State's defense, of course, you know, that, that to me was the leader of that UCLA game, but... We also saw UCLA as as they got in trouble early, they switched to a zone defense. And Michigan State did exactly what you have to do against a zone defense, hit threes. Matt McQuaid hit him, Cassius Winston hit him, Josh Langford hit him. And I mean that was that was a sign. And I tweeted out, you know, oh, I think Michigan State's been working on their zone offense ever since a certain game in March. <laughs> uh I wonder which one that might be referring to. I feel like it
2: was Bucknell. Uh, yeah, definitely the Bucknell game. <laughs> definitely, yeah.
3: yeah. Mm, I'm feeling a different orange team that they played in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but Oregon State. Oregon State, for there sure. You know. 100%. But, yes, they definitely uh, hit some threes over that defense. And, I mean, that, that certainly had to be discouraging for UCLA. But it has to be encouraging for Michigan State. Now, of course, I mean— say what you will about that Syracuse game yeah I know they, they missed a lot of open threes they got those shots but but it seemed to me like they were not phased at all by the fact that UCLA tried to throw them off with a zone defense
1: yeah definitely and I just remember after the first couple of cupcake games Izzo saying you know I'm not worried about offense I'm not worried about offense we mm-hmm. can shoot we can shoot and now that the offense is doing like well as he predicted and as he you know, new and defense is doing well. I mean, that's that's a well-rounded team. That's a team that's going to go far.
2: Yeah, exactly. And they're, they're shooting now. And a part of that, what looked really good to me, and it goes not just into the, the, the zone offense, but their all-around offense, is the ball movement. Mm-hmm. And that's what really got that zone off guard is moving the ball around the horn, finding the open shooter. You look at 20 assists on 32 made baskets in that game. Those are the type of plays, type of things you want to see on offense for this Spartan team to continue to be great on that end of the basketball, on the end of the floor.
3: Now, UCLA game ends late at night, by the way. I mean, close close to midnight, and and all of a sudden, Michigan State has to get ready for the team. We all expected them to play in that second game. Texas. Mm. I mean, I'll take the blame as the host of the podcast here because I was focusing all on North Carolina (laughs) for that second game. Wow. Um, Texas. Upsets UNC, but was it really an upset? That's the thing. North Carolina has already lost two games now after getting blown out by Michigan in the second half. Texas looked pretty darn good to start out against Michigan State. Maybe Texas was the team we should have been looking for in that second game, but Michigan State has to play Texas just mere 16, 18 hours after finishing up that UCLA game. I mean, talk about a quick turnaround, but Michigan State started out flat you know get down by double digits in the first half but here they come back to finish out the first half and especially in that second half to come back and Michigan State wins 78-68 Spartans winning the Las Vegas Invitational thanks to that win over the Longhorns and I mean Cassius Winston won tournament MVP honors right as far as a four-team tournament goes I mean I don't know if and then Nick Ward got on the all-tournament first team as well. But to me, this
2: one was about Josh Langford. Without a doubt, and he was he was fantastic. I mean, they came out flat in the first half, but that second half, he really turned it on. He looked at 22 points, seven, 7 of 11 from the field, 4 of 5 from 3. He was hitting all the shots, and he looked, I mean, I've said it throughout on the podcast, and I thought Cassius Winston was the guy, and he has been. He's been consistent all season long, but as I was talking with my dad while watching this game, we both kind of came watching this one, that Langford's the guy. I didn't think he had another gear in him, but he showed it in this game against Texas. You talk about pull-up, mid-range jump shots. I mean, he was just all over the floor, and he looked great.
3: And driving the ball. I mean, that's what he's done this year, is he takes it and doesn't just settle kind of for the mid-range shots. You you can kind of tell he will settle for that shot a little bit, especially when he shoots the contested ones. Now, that happened a lot more in that Louisville game that we'll get to momentarily, but Driving to the basket, creating something with a euro step or with a you know just just kind of attacking the rim and and letting good things happen, whether it's drawing a foul or laying it up, laying it in for a point you know a, what is it uh, zero uh, not ground zero. I'm totally blanking on English right now. <sighs> point blank. A point, point blank point. shot, yeah. There like we go. a there, there's mm-hmm. there's a saying with the word zero in it though. I don't. Isn't think so. there high percentage shot? High, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah high percentage shot. Yeah, I'll lay up. He has a high percentage. What am I thinking? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. It's a weird day for Ryan. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Every <laughs> day it, is yeah. a weird day for Ryan. All right, thanks guys. Yep. Appreciate it. But yes, I mean, getting in there and, and you just you just like seeing that from Josh Langford because that's what the best shooting guards do is they don't just shoot from outside. They create inside.
1: Yeah, I think he does a good job of reading the defense and seeing, finding those seams, finding those you know lanes, and taking them, and actually mm-hmm. being aggressive and making those opportunities. And I've said before, you know, Langford is this kind of quiet but amazing player, but I think he was loud in this Texas game, and I kind of liked it.
3: That's a good way to put it. I mean, I thought you know after that game, my biggest takeaway was, I mean, Josh Langford might be the quietest team leader in scoring mm-hmm. that. Maybe we've seen in the country, you know, and maybe that we've seen at Michigan State, at least in our time here. I mean, I don't think people understand what he brings. I mean, even when he's hitting those threes and things like that, for whatever reason, it's it's almost, I don't know if it's because he was a five-star recruit or what. I mean, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he does on the offensive end.
2: Yeah and I and I agree and I think she's just not the flashiest player. No, yeah. And I well, mean, he's modest. He's very modest. Exactly. And a lot of his game doesn't come off of step back jumpers or anything that's going to be a flashy play. He's not dunking the basketball. It's just simple plays off pin downs, nice mid-range jumper from the free throw line. I mean, how many people are like, mm, that's a five-star player." <laughs> mm. free, th- free throw line jumper, you love to see it. That's a traditional part of the game that that's, a lot of people That's why I'm not
3: five stars cuz that's my only shot in the looking mid-range at it. and I play. <laughs>
2: And so he, he he does it off just easy plays like that. And then in transition, he's wide open for a three. It's not the most, ex, I guess, exciting or the, the thing people are going to be drawn to. Like you look at a player like a Miles Bridges who kind of had, you know, an explosive game. It's not that, but he still gets it for you in numbers and bunches.
3: Josh Langford, 29 points, the career high against Texas to win the Las Vegas Invitational. And after that, I mean, as, as Michigan State outscores Texas forty two to twenty four in the second half, off off of that, I mean, I'm I'm trying to look at the uh, uh, what their biggest deficit was. I believe it was nineteen in that game, if I'm not mistaken. My internet is uh, failing me right now, but but it was it was just a stomping from the start. It was nineteen. It, ni- nineteen biggest deficit. Nineteen. And how lead. how does Michigan State come back by deep? Locking down a defense. I mean, that that went to show you... I mean, that was my biggest takeaway from that weekend and and after, you know, the Tennessee Tech and things like that is Michigan State is only going as far as its defense will take it. Now, we've... Okay, I think we've used that statement, right, <laughs> with the players and everything. like the motto. Yeah, it's... <clears throat> impact is own. We'll only go How as far, far <laughs> as blank takes us, right? So... We say that with Cassius Winston, we say that with Nick Ward, maybe even you could say with Josh Langford. I think I will rescind all of that and I will say Michigan State will only go as far as its defense takes it. I because think that's the
1: most solid. It is.
3: I mean it's 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 after statement. After everything we've seen. Yeah. That's just the truth of the matter is when they actually care about defense,
2: they can beat anybody in the country or at least hang with them. I agree, but I, th- I think it, it's, it's something that extends to both sides of the ball. I think their effort is going to it's gonna make or break this team, and whether they come out ready to play. I mean, you look at this Texas game, come out slow in the first half on both ends of the floor. That can't happen, and then we're going to talk about Louisville, of course, where the same thing happened again. If they come out with an effort to play hard on offense and defense, this can be a tough team. This defense can be great. They have the players to do it. This offense can be solid. They have the players to do it. But they have to come out ready to go. Langford can't come out slow. Nick Ward can't come out slow on either end of the floor.
1: I think with this team especially, and talking about defense, you have have three big juniors here that have played Michigan State defense for three years now. They know how Izzo likes it. They know how to lock down. I think with the saying is they only go as far as defense. They only go as far as these three juniors too. And I've said that before when we were making predictions. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I I read something earlier. It was – this Michigan State was the only team that started with all upperclassmen in the Las Vegas Invitational and that just kind of, you know, and took advantage of it and took advantage of their experience and that that says a lot for that team and that they're, you know, confident in their older guys to, you know, pick up the pace and really lock down on offense and defense.
3: And that really shows in a tournament setting. You know, as far as the quick turnaround like we mentioned, you know, that's Tom Izzo does this kind of thing every every Thanksgiving. Because he wants to give them that, hey, this is exactly how it's going to be like in March. You know, when when you win a first-round game, you're playing 36 to 48 hours later uh, against against a team that is usually higher rated than the team you played before. So you have to prepare for a better team than you had a week to prepare for in, in a day's time. So as far as the Texas game goes, I mean, I think there were a lot of lessons to take out of that, but... Speaking of those slow starts, that is exactly what happened against Louisville again. And this time, Michigan State did come back, did hold the lead in the second half. But this one is going to go down as one of those. The Michigan State very, very much had a chance or two chances or actually a lot of chances to win.
1: <laughs> the one that got away.
3: The one that got away because they did not cash in on a lot of those. Michigan State loses to Louisville. 82 82- 78 in the ACC Big 10 challenge and first off the first true road game for Michigan State I mean with that slow start I think you could you could expect especially with Louisville two losses on the season not ranked but with a top 10 team coming in that crowd just needed a couple of buckets and all of us I mean it was 5 nothing and that crowd was already on its feet oh yeah and you could tell it was going to be
2: tough for Michigan State from that point on yeah, that, that environment is a tough one. I mean, you sit there and uh, listening to Dan Dockage and everyone talk while they're in the station and hearing what Joey Ellis had to say who was there. Uh, uh, when, where was he? He was there in Louisville. At, in Ken- at what, in what's the name of it? Kentucky. The KFC Yum Center. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. There we go. There we go. Had to, that that's good. One yes. of, that's one of my favorite names. Yes. The KFC Yum it's, Center. You don't
3: just walk in to the KFC Yum Center and walk out with, uh, with a, you know, Five course meal, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta pay your dues in there. You
2: don't, but Louisville has a great crowd, and and like you said, once they started rolling, you could feel that energy just feeding into the Cardinals game and the Spartans. Just, it's tough to try and do something in that environment. It's a road test,
1: and I think that also plays a huge thing in you know Michigan State's mental game too. It's a big, big mental test, and if they can push through the you know environment and just play basketball, and that. They they just couldn't do it. <laughs> so angry.
3: They just couldn't do it, and I mean there there's so much to tackle with this. I know we each have our our takeaways, but I, I've got to start with pointing out Matt McQuaid's injury. I think that that
1: quote unquote injury. Oh, it is.
3: It is. He I'm got it. I'm still a...
1: confused about it.
3: Okay, so he had a thigh bruise, right? In
1: from like a practice or the game?
3: Apparently the game against Texas. Okay. And then flew back to East Lansing, of course, from Vegas. But it was kind of swelling Monday into Tuesday and Michigan State was not comfortable putting him with that swelling on a plane where you ascend to thirty thousand feet and then come back down and they were worried something might happen with the altitude change of being on a plane like that.
1: Okay, okay.
3: I believe that is my understanding of why they took the precaution of leaving him out of the game. It's not a extended injury. Tom Izzo mentioned to, uh, today that it's day-to-day, but it's it's something to watch, and obviously, after watching that game, Michigan State definitely needs Matt McQuaid much more than people thought.
1: Yes. Yes. It was just a surprise because Matt McQuaid is just that player that gets all the minutes. He's a starter. He's there. He's there all the time. But, like, when he's not shooting or, you know, he's not doing anything incredible, you don't really notice that much. It's kind of quiet. But when he was gone, you were like, where's Matt McQuaid? Where's Matt McQuaid? The yeah. defense is struggling. Like, that's just stuff that you notice, and you, you notice in those moments um, how much a player is worth.
2: Yeah, exactly. He fills. It, it's not necessarily on the – Production side of the basketball, it looks at him just seven points per game, still struggling from the field. But what he provides on the defensive end and as a senior captain and as a secondary ball handler, those are roles that this team needs because, I mean, everyone looks at a foster lawyer as the guy to step up, and he struggled in this one. He had some moments, but a lot of it he struggled in this game, and Josh Langford as well had moments where he struggled turnovers. And Matt McQuaid, is just, at least in the games he's been seen in, has been a steady secondary ball handler. Now, Tom is a-
3: and has raved, and, and I I think fans don't realize it because they expect Matt McQuaid to be the knockdown shooter, the, the five, you know, superstar from outside. He is the best defender on this Michigan State team, especially on the perimeter. He just is. People don't realize that because they expect him to produce on the offensive end, but I think they missed that, and Louisville, I think, benefited from that because – Luva went out there and and shot decently well, 21 of 53 on the day, so about 40%. But, I mean, as far as Michigan State goes, I could even tell on the offensive end they at least missed Matt McQuaid's knowledge of the offense and, and ability to kind of fit into that system well. So Matt McQuaid definitely was missed in this game. Now I will give props, though, to the guy who filled in in his place in the starting lineup that's a guy by the name of Kyle Arns Kyle Arns I think I mean I was happy to see this because I've kind of I've known over these years in practice things like that he is a very good player people don't understand that because he gets injured and and you know he he's always been on the bench right he plays behind Matt McQuaid things like that but he plays a team high forty-one point or forty-one minutes, excuse me, ties for the team high in fifteen points, three from three for six from three, A couple nice baseline drives and dunks. Amanda, I think that's what Tom Izzo was saying with the highest vertical on the team.
1: <laughs> yes, we, I mean we, we weren't unexpected, but definitely proved himself on the court and hopefully, I mean, fifteen points, forty-one minutes. I mean, the next highest minutes was thirty minutes. He's mm-hmm. playing ton and I mean Tom Izzo likes him out there because he was doing great things and being with his experience and the fact that he just like wants to play that was his whole thing in the beginning of the season is I'm just excited to go out there and and be that person for my team and do whatever I need to do for them and he did he filled shoes he um I mean he created plays made buckets that they needed at certain moments but um I definitely think that From what we saw, he'll probably get more playing time, more minutes.
3: And you guys talked to him at media day. And and we played his quote here on the show about how, oh, I'm just excited to get out there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was so hoping you were going to do the accent. I was not expecting that when I talked to him. I'm just really excited to play basketball.
3: I'm, he's I'm, from Ohio, just oh like my, you. Oh I mean, he's... I wasn't
1: ready for that. It was like a twang, and I was like, "Oh, hi!" Like, I'm, what? I'm gonna
2: tweet at him that you guys did an impression to him. No, I'm just excited to get him. Oh there. my goodness! But but yeah, he was he was solid. I put in my nose. Shout out to Kyle Arnes. Best oh, part yeah. of this game, shout and out. he simply just played the right way. He did what he had to do. He's in there to shoot threes. He hit his threes, and he turned the ball over once in the 41 minutes. You talk about guys who struggle with turnovers. He turned it over once. Yeah in the game. He just played well. He did what he was supposed to do. And one of the best things I saw from him was he was one of the few players who was actively making cuts off the basketball. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's a part of the game that this Spartan offense struggles is moving off ball, cuts, cuts door cuts to the rim. That's an area that I think can be worked on, and he, he did that well.
3: I for for sure think that he's going to play a part in this season. and And Kyle – Like I said, he struggled with injuries. Tom Izzo spoke glowingly of him all preseason and even after some of these games of just being a solid player Uh, and he needed him to be more than solid. And I think he delivered in that aspect, but uh, Michigan state, I think dug itself a pretty big hole from the start uh, because they didn't really come out with a tenacity like a Kyle Arns did. Um, Early on, falling down, like I said, 5 nothing, and then later on in the half, I mean, the biggest lead for Louisville, as I'm scrolling through here, uh, they were leading by 9 about halfway through the first half, and then Michigan State needed a run at the end of the half just to get back from the 12-point deficit that they had at one point. So, I mean, Michigan State can't afford to do that against everybody. We saw it against Texas. Yeah, great, nineteen point comeback. That's sweet, right? And they win by ten. Great. But you can't you can't expect to do that. And that's just simple basketball. You gotta come out and play a full forty minutes. It doesn't matter how good your second half is if your first half stinks. We saw that against Kansas. And I I mean, I think what you can do is you can say, hey, let's take the four games so far the Michigan State has played against high major opponents, Kansas. UCLA, Texas, Louisville. Three of those four, they got down by double digits early in the first half. You can't do that, especially when you got the Big Ten season coming up where you play 20 Big Ten teams this year.
2: Exactly, and to me it, it comes down to mental errors. There were just too many unforced turnovers. You look at within the first couple of minutes, I think a couple, two of them at least were from bad passes by, uh, I think it was Langford and maybe Cash's. But they're all unforced mental mistakes. And you can't expect to have a second, you know, uh, 20-minute second half where you just, you rip off and your offense is fantastic because that's not going to happen game to game. You have to come out and perform for the full 40. And these simple mistakes can't happen. You have to, uh, Langford struggled. There were points in this game where they went on a run but then they went back to making mental errors. Langford takes a bad shot, an easy turnover on the other end, and that just kept him out of this one.
3: Langford took some weird shots in this one. I he he rebounded a bit in the second half, but I think he got a little cocky after seeing the twenty nine point outburst against Texas, his career high, and I think he just didn't play within himself, you know. And another guy who I didn't think played within himself, Nick Ward, mm-hmm. and. I and I don't know about if that's on Nick Ward or if it's on the team because I think the team should be seeking out Nick Ward down low in some of these situations too especially against other bigs maybe if those other bigs are beating you up down low go to them and if the if the fouls are being called in such a ticky-tacky weird way like it has in that that Louisville game was called very strangely on both ends I I thought the officiating we don't we don't get into officiating too much on the show here but I thought the officiating was strange, uh, again, on both ends. That's not me whining from one side. I just think they called some things on Michigan State that they didn't call on Louisville, and then vice versa. Same yeah, thing the other I, way around. I completely
2: agree. And I like that we don't get into officiating. I think that's one of the most
3: biggest oh, I, things I hate I'm people
2: taking on that. And never I, gonna I use agree. it as an excuse. I never. definitely think, you know, and it goes for all of college basketball, it's the same thing that the refs aren't necessarily the greatest, but they did make it fair, at least in the strange calls. It was fair on both sides.
3: Michigan State.
2: I mean, Nick Ward,
3: five of eight from the field for fourteen points in this one. I still think he's got to take more than eight shots, you know. And that's that's just strange, you know. And yeah. then the rebounds for him—three rebounds for Nick Ward. I mean,
1: with Kenny, Kenny was hogging the ball. Okay, a little so bit. let's okay, so let's get
3: into <laughs> Kenny Goins here a little bit too, because that was there was a whole lot with Kenny Goins to oh, yeah. get into. First off, and I I tweeted this out again. ESPN put this on the bottom line as I'm I'm watching that Indiana Duke game after the Michigan State uh, Michigan State Louisville game. Kenny Goins had 17 rebounds and didn't attempt a single field goal. He's the first player in the in Division One basketball, or that that's the most rebounds by a player who didn't attempt a field goal in Division One. In 20 years.
1: That's Kenny Goins for you right there. That's Kenny Goins. So
3: for all of you, when that is a trivia question on Jeopardy (laughs) in like 2040, this player had 17 rebounds while not attempting a field goal against Louisville. There it is for you. Kenny Goins. So is that
1: good or bad? What is our judgment on that?
3: That is a great question because I think, okay, so I don't think you can say, oh, it's good that he didn't attempt any field goals. But I think it shows you Kenny Goins knows his role on this team mm-hmm. is to be a rebounder, right? And that's that's just what it is. I mean, he's never going to be a high-flying offensive specimen like like we Kansas. saw with the Miles Bridges or things like that. Or, or Yeah, right. I mean, we saw it against Kansas, but that was his career game. Yeah. Now, I think his role is to rebound the ball. He's got a longer wingspan for a guy that's 6'7". He's tough. I mean, we've seen him get banged up and bruised, and I'm about to play a little audio about his little eye, uh, his eye injury there with that late free throw attempt. I do think that that's his role, and if he scores, hey, great. If he has open shots, but he didn't have open shots in this game, so he didn't have to take them. But what he did, he soared in for rebounds.
2: Exactly, I completely agree. That's the thing. I mean, where are you really trying to have? Kenny Goins score unless it's right. an open shot I'm, you're not feeding him in the post I, Izzo's offense isn't run to where you're taking a power forward yeah, like not, him and doing a pick and pop for a three-pointer That's he's not, not he's not
3: running a late game situation through Kenny Goins
2: let's and, just say that. and so all he has to do is take the open shots and like you said there were none I mean there was one at one point with a foster lawyer turnover that he mm-hmm. was open mm-hmm. don't know if he was gonna make that <laughs> but that would have been a field goal attempt mm-hmm. but there weren't many times in this game I think he, was he open. knew about that stat he, he was ready for it. He knew
3: yes. he's like he's I like I need. I got to get to seventeen. Need, get to 17 can't and don't can't shoot. Uh, can't don't. shoot.
1: <laughs> don't pass me the ball. Yeah, but he <laughs> fills that role. I think he. I think he, he fed
3: has. ESPN that. That yeah, stat. So that's... By the way, did you
1: guys know that I'm the only?
3: Because <laughs> it was like it was like right after the game they had that. I'm like, what? who who was keeping that?
1: Really, who keeps track of that? Because I was not in the media guide. I guarantee you, that oh, no. was not in the media guide. Like,
3: and none of the MSU writers or anything said that. So All it's right. not. I don't think the MSU put that in like the game notes or anything like that. Like, That's
1: so funny. He's wrote it up. He's he, he definitely de- he, like a post game. He's like right. so um
3: maybe, maybe he's now. got like he's <laughs> got a buddy who runs the graphics at ESPN and he's like, hey, by the way, I've been I've been meaning to get on the bottom line there on ESPN as the team leader. I didn't score a single point, but can we put this in there?
2: Put, like Literally. seventeen boards. I got seventeen boards, is that good enough? No field goals, like weird flex, but okay.
1: Yes, exactly.
2: So on Kenny Goins'
3: injury, what a strange sequence of events. And as, as we got to talk to the team and Tom Izzo after practice on Wednesday this week, we got to hear a little bit of their side of what went into that. And I just think it was really strange. And Tom Izzo, in fact, didn't really even want to talk on the record about it. He kind of said, all right, guys, you know, we can talk about that, but after the recorders are off. And when Tom Izzo says that, that means he's got some choice words about the situation. <laughs> so we don't have anything from Tom Izzo, but how about the man himself, Kenny Goines, uh, speaking with the media through a bloody eye? Uh, and uh, just kind of here. here's a little bit of our discussion with him and a couple of questions about the way that, that whole situation was handled late in the game. It looks pretty bad, but I feel alright.
1: Did it have an impact on your on the free throw? Do you
2: think? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't really see stepping up to the line,
1: so. What were the refs saying to you? Could you have said, "Hey, I can't do it"? Or I mean, I told them I'm. I, I don't want to sound like a, I was trying to get out of it, but I knew that I couldn't see to shoot it, and I told them I was telling them I'm bleeding, like I still can't see, um and they came up to me that I had to shoot, so. Yeah, so, I mean, I went up to the line and tried to keep it straight. What's the tried my best.
0: What do the refs tell you in that situation? Did you
1: say good I, mean, they, I, yeah, I don't know. I talked to Teddy Valentine for a little bit at the free throw line, and then he went over and talked to the other ref. I don't know what was said, but uh, right before that, they came over told me I had to shoot. And right after, they said, all right, step up to the line. And I was
3: like, all right, you know, there's nothing you can really say at that point. So Kenny Goins gets fouled, poked in the eye, and they tell him, you've got to shoot the free throws. The referees tell him that. I mean, that's a strange situation, and I feel like, and I've watched basketball for a lot of years. I've seen situations that are at least similar to that where they can get someone else to shoot the free throws, right? I mean, if they, because at that point, I believe they were able to substitute I mean, it was it was the hot topic at practice. I feel like his it eye was, didn't
1: look that bad in the beginning, and maybe that's what the refs saw. They, they were like, "No, it doesn't look that bad. Like you're right. fine."
3: But Kenny, okay, but how is how is the referee supposed to tell Kenny Goins? Oh no, it looks like you can shoot. Kenny Goins is telling him, "Dude, I can't see." There's out blood of that in eye. my eye. He literally, you just heard him say, "I was just trying to keep it straight." <laughs> Hello. I mean, that was just a wild situation. Yeah. Kenny Goins takes that free throw and misses it, the front end of a one and one which was a problem for Michigan State late in that game. Yeah. Those free throws, they left
2: some free throws, especially the front end of a one-on-one, they left them on the court. Exactly. There was I, I wrote about it in, little plug, little plug, wrote about it, Impact 89 FM Ooh. slash oh. sports, men's basketball, little, little takeaways. From the kid himself. But wrote about the missed free throws. The kid. Missed... Wait.
3: The the profit, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that.
2: <laughs> the profit. But they missed three in the final minute. Nick Ward goes and splits his two attempts at the line. Makes the first to tie the game at 67. Misses the second to give a. Uh, excuse me. Gave them a one-point lead. Excuse me. Misses the second. Then freshman guard Foster Lawyer has his chance at a one-and-one. Misses that, and that was one that was hugely talked about. As Brendan Quinn, I believe, tweeted it that he is one of the most prolific free throw shooters in state history in, in Michigan at Clarkston yep. High School.
3: And that's got a lot of Spartan fans upset was with that free throw because they grew up they they've seen him, they've seen him at Clarkston And I, I'll I'll let you finish your point, but I, I have my opinion on how people are taking this Foster agree. Lord. We'll, yeah, we'll get right to that. I, yeah. I do want
2: to want to talk about that as well. Yeah. But yeah, you look at that missed free throw, and then like you said, Kenny Goins has his chance, and that was at a point where the game was tied, and he could have given the Spartans the lead with eight seconds left in the game. Yep, one eye, he misses the front end of the one and one, and key, that was
3: that was key. And key so free throws. Louisville is still tied and had a shot at the end. Miss it, it goes to overtime. But obviously, he makes even one of those. Louisville is in a much different situation, much more dire situation. I don't believe they had a timeout at that time. So they'd have to run down there and try to throw something up. But that that whole situation was really strange. And I'm telling you guys, that was the talk of the open practice yesterday when the media met with the team. Oh, man, I mean, there's, there was a lot kind of going on with that. And and the referees, Kenny Going saying he talked to Teddy Valentine, things like that. I mean, I don't know. that That was... A strange situation, but again, that was one of many in that game. Which means I I, I now think Foster Lawyer, we've got to bring this in to the discussion. Foster Lawyer gets thrown into some pretty high-pressure minutes because Cassius Winston fouled out. Cassius Winston, the guy, you know, he should be leading this team in minutes, things like that. He fouls out of the game against Louisville with four minutes to go, 4 one So Foster Lawyer has to play these last four minutes, and then there's overtime. So Foster Lawyer, that he had to fill in for a guy that, of course, Dan Dockich early on in the broadcast was saying, best point guard in the country and, and all this stuff. And I won't get into Dan Dockich here on the – on the show, because he's had a bad week. Let's just say that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jeff Ooh, Brom's yeah. going to uh, Louisville. Oh gosh, swang animus. Uh, I just, I just got a little glory in uh, seeing that.
2: I will say falter. it was a Ford for Dan Dockett. It was, it was a solid game called at Louisville. I, I will give him that. I won't, won't hop uh, on the hate train of that game. I, I think in terms of where people hate him, I don't think that was. A, I don't Terrible think
3: game. I don't think I'm gonna join you on that train because Zach Swiescki and I were just texting back and forth like what is this guy doing? <laughs> Anyways, we will we'll have a different <laughs> show about the Dan Dokic, uh dilemma. Um, the only time that we've ever like called him out on the show was back when he called out Michigan State students a couple of years ago and the Izone got after him. Remember that? that was, uh... Yeah, and
2: that that was deservedly so. Though. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was a nice nice. Nice little shots. Shots taken. <laughs> shots. So, Dan Docker's side.
3: Foster Lawyer in this game has to play those tense moments. And and before I get into that, I think Cassius Winston getting those five fouls, and, and Tom Izzo mentioned this too, he's smarter than that. He can't get those three, especially three reach in fouls. I mean, that's Cassius Winston's been here for over two seasons now. You may hate that call. But if you know it's going to be called, you can't defend like that. And he's got to know the situation of a, the guy that has been playing back a point guard, Matt McQuaid,
1: is not there. Isn't
3: th- he's gone. You you got to play smarter than that in that situation. And Cassius Winston, I think, dropped the ball in that.
2: A hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred percent.
3: And and as great as he is. You know, to whom much is given, much is expected, and Cassius Winston is expected to be on the court and be your floor general for 40 minutes. And you don't leave a high-pressure situation like this in the hands of Foster Lawyer.
2: Exactly, and you just—it's just—it's not even just because it's Cassius Winston. These are just fouls. They were—they were mental errors. You can't do that. I think one—one of them was off a rebound. I think Nick Ward was fighting for it with mm-hmm. Kenny Goins, but Winston runs over to try and steal it away. And I get it; you're trying to make a hustle play, trying to get that for the team. But you're working with four, f- four or three fouls at that point. You can't pick up a silly foul like yep. that on a reach. And I think, I maybe correct me if I'm wrong, because it may have been Foster Lawyer, but I believe the one that called him out was on a three point attempt or a shot by McMahon. I, I don't know of if, another foul that may have been. I don't a know lawyer. if that was the one, but I remember Cassius.
3: I, I think. I think yeah. the one that you were mentioning where he kind of like reaches in just a little bit as there's like a scrum. I think that was his last one cuz remember is, he yeah. kind of he kind of hit the deck yep. and he just kind of laid his head on his hands yeah. and yeah. like
1: well and that's what you were saying before he's like I just wasn't thinking I was just playing basketball I was you know yeah. reaching in to grab the ball blah 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 and I'm like yeah but you have to think this is your position and it like is. you have to know the game like we said Matt McQuaid's exactly. gone like you have to know your role and that that cannot happen.
3: And if you think we're being too tough on him, I'm sorry, but I just think this is this is what's expected of Cassius Winston again. You got to know McQuaid's out. You got to know Foster Lawyer. I mean, all right, enough with that. Foster Lawyer comes in. Lawyer, freshman out of Clarkston. Everybody wants to love this guy, right, for being an offensive guru, one of the best scorers the state of Michigan has ever seen in high school basketball history. Lawyer comes in, he played a total of nine minutes in this one, and here are his stats. Three personal fouls in nine minutes, by the way, so maybe maybe they just didn't like Spartan point guards in this game. Two assists, one turnover, he hit one shot, missed a free throw. And we mentioned that earlier. He was one of them that missed the front end of a one-and-one one late in this game, and for Foster Lawyer, the guy that's a highly rated one of the best free throw shooters in state history like brendan quinn
2: said that's that can't happen right i agree and i i, I do there are people going to go on well that was prep basketball and i do i see that point but this is a kid you you can't hit free throws you've proven to hit it 90% i get it was a big moment you got to hit the free throw you have to you have to. I maybe a small bit of leeway, but you got to be ready to step up in the moment. I
3: kind of give him. I will say I give him a little more leeway than I think a lot of Spartan fans are, because, I mean, he didn't know he's going to be in this situation. But you got to be ready. You, you got to be ready. Yes, but on the road, ACC, Big Ten challenge. Has he ever had twenty thousand people screaming against him, ever? I don't think so. You know, playing in that high school circuit and everything, like, I get, I get that, you know. And I, I understand the, well, you know, the basket's just as far away as it always is when you're shooting free throws. It's the same in every gym. I understand, but, I mean, think of the fact that, I mean, he, he steps to that line, and everybody is cheering against him, and he's got all that time to think about all the reasons why he might not Make the shot. He has to think about the fact that he's going to go back to a head coach that's going to scream so hard he almost bites his neck. That was such a weird image, by the way. That was, that was strange just... to
2: see. I was <laughs>
3: I was so confused. So confused. But um, he still got to make the shot. And you got a scholarship. You know, you're playing on this team for a reason. So I understand that. Um I I do think, I mean, he leans into that shot and makes his one field goal attempt. That was a tough basket. I think for the most part, he was forced into a tough situation, and I wouldn't say he delivered with, you you know, passing flying grades, you know, but... I think he did all right for for who he is and for the situation he was thrown into.
1: Well, and I think that has something to do with the, how many minutes he's gotten in all of the Cupcake games. I mean, Izzo did a good job of, you know, putting in the freshmen and giving them time to be on the court and vibe with the team. And um, I think that actually helped him a lot when he had to, you know, be thrown in there on those pressure, you mm-hmm. know, moments. Because he was familiar with the setup, the gameplay and everything. Um, instead of just being thrown in there totally unexpectedly, it was more of like you know, okay, I'm getting my minutes, I'm, you know, doing my thing. Coach Izzo has confidence in me to do my thing. So it, I think it's definitely just a mental side of things. Being a freshman, not as experienced, um, he just has to get over those mental barriers of, you know, don't even think about it, just, you know, shoot your fall shot because you're good at it.
3: Now, Tom Izzo always has been very, very uh, tough, I think is a easy word for it on his point guards, always. Like I said with Cassius Winston, high expectations, you know, to whom much is given, much is uh, expected. Foster Lawyer falls into that, and Tom Izzo knows that, and he mentioned that after after the game, and, you know, while he understands where Foster Lawyer is and everything, I mean, he said, you know, hey, he looked like a freshman out there. You
0: got to sink a little before you swim or whatever phrase was um, it's all part of the learning curve it's it's a shame because free throw wise I don't care if he's if he was on the stage with uh, Magic Johnson and uh, Kobe Bryant I expect him to make free throws you know and um, I think that was what was most disappointing to him the growth and the other things you just got to keep working on being solid defensively not taking chances, like not out trying to deny the ball and foul. You know, those are things that um, I think every young kid wants to try to impress the coach. And they think the way to impress him is to make a basket. Or the way to impress him is to be solid and not make any mistakes. So, you know, it is part of the process. And he'll learn from it. But he's a smart enough kid to figure it out.
3: So in my opinion, and I think Tom Izzo kind of sees this, with with and this really is my thing with this entire team right now but I think Foster Lawyers experience at Louisville is a good example of this this three game stretch especially but especially that Louisville game I think there were a lot of lessons to be learned I think there were different lessons that came out of each of these three games for each different for each player you know and, and there were lessons you learned in the UCLA game there were lessons in the Texas game each of which can be applied to the NCAA tournament, and we all know that's what that's what it comes down to with Michigan State. Now, in Big Ten play, I will say that too. Big Ten play late. You know, they play Michigan, who's looking like the Michigan Michigan State's the top two dogs in the Big Ten right now. They will play them for two of the last four games of the year. Those high tense situations. You know, these guys have learned about that early on in the season before the calendar even hit December. And I think that Louisville game is a prime example of, hey, Foster Lawyer got thrown into a tough situation. But look, if he doesn't play a single minute the rest of this season until, say, Cassius Winston fouls out with four minutes to go in the home finale against Michigan for the Big Ten title... I don't care if Foster Lawyer hasn't played a single minute until that point. From here until then, he's been in that situation. He's been there, done that. He, he knows what to expect. He, he knows what is expected of him. So to me, that's that's kind of what I what I think, as far as Foster Lawyer goes.
2: I think so. I think that. I mean, he played okay for the minutes he had to. I definitely think. There were some mistakes that are they are freshman mistakes but you got to step up. Your number gets called, you got to get in there and play. And I think he had he had some plays like that, some silly fouls on McMahon with a hand on him behind the line. Can't do that. It's a reach. You should have taken the shot off a nice pump fake. You try pass to Kenny Goins and that's still a makeable pass. That that was That sails out of bounds.
3: That was certainly a situation where it was like, "Oh man, this team is That that's another great shot
2: exactly. It's another exactly. great chance. And I think like like you said, he's only going to go from here, grow from here and the hope is that I don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to play this many minutes anymore, but the more that he gets in, I think this is building him up for next year. I think this is getting a guy if he has to play when Winston is out or they don't have a secondary ball handle he can, but this is building him up to be that next guy up later on. And
3: that's exactly what I'm saying. You know, that's what these early season games are for is take the lessons whether it's a tiny one for one little for one player on this roster foster lawyer you know that's something that is going to benefit come march i just i just firmly believe that
1: i think with this loss like you said everybody's learning something and it's true foster lawyer kyle arons you know you're learning that Matt McQuaid plays a huge role that she didn't even realize Langford maybe doesn't get cocky anymore after he scores 29 points in a previous game. You know, you're learning all these different things. Yes, it's it sucks that it had to be because of a loss, but mm-hmm. learning it and moving on is going to be their next steps and how they can do that mentally.
3: And yes, this team's going to fall in the rankings. Yes, it, it may come to haunt them in March. Say Louisville goes 500 the rest of the way this season and ends up as a a bad loss, you know, in that maybe 100 to 150 RPI range. I personally think Louisville's better than people gave them credit for, by the way, but that's just me. All of that, yes, will come out of this, but again, it's those game situations that you're thrown into. And again, with UCLA, these guys learned, hey, we can beat a team that's bigger than us by just having the will and just willing it down low. Especially with, I mean, yeah, UCLA was talented and they were big, but they were wiry. You know, Moses Brown had five inches on Nick Ward. No chance. Because Nick Ward was just flat out more talented and tougher, really, than than Moses Brown. So you learn that against UCLA. Against Texas, a different kind of team. Much more athletic, much more um, I think tougher to, to defend. And they found that early on, but they made adjustments and they found out, hey, we can still come back from a deficit if we just lock down on defense. And against Louisville, I think you saw the importance of Matt McQuaid, right? I think you saw Kyle Arnes can be a dependable guy. You saw Cassius Winston has to stay on the floor and not make those stupid fouls. You saw Foster Lawyer. Hey, he's gotta grow. He's got he's got <laughs> he's got some improving to do. But you also saw, hey, This team needs, I think, an extra offensive weapon. And because, you know, they they didn't go to ward enough. But also, I mean, something I didn't even mention in this game, Xavier Tillman, he was good. He had a double-double. He still missed some bunnies. He was good. He was good, but he still missed a couple that should have gone in. So, I mean, to me, my big thing with this Louisville game is, look, Everyone's all running around with their heads cut off right now. They lost to an unranked team. Oh, my gosh. And this this is not just a fanboy thing. I mean, I just, for whatever reason, after this game, this was my immediate reaction. It took Matt McQuaid being hurt, Cassius Winston sitting out the last nine minutes, Nick Ward and Josh Langford both just not playing within themselves, not right. Kenny Goins lost a freaking eye. They played on the road for their first road game of the year. Louisville treated it like their Super Bowl, and Michigan State still only lost by four in overtime. I still think, I still think they're fine. You know, it took so much. Where hey, one or two of those things get shored up, Michigan State's fine. Cassius Winston doesn't foul out. Michigan State wins in regulation, right? So, so it's those little things, those little tweaks. And I just trust a Tom Izzo team, a mentally tough team, an experienced team like these guys are now. I mean, these last two years, we never talked about experience with these guys. Now we do. I just I just see it as a, they'll be okay, personally. That's just me.
2: I think they, they have room to grow. I look at it a little bit differently, and I see it as some questions as where this team goes. I I don't think they have the talent as they play more elite teams the question comes for me is whether they're going to show up mentally prepared or not and it's it's I do think this Louisville team was slightly better than people gave them credit I mean they have guys who can play some transfers and then you look at a guy and I believe Cunningham was a transfer and you look at McMahon who can all play and they got punched in the mouth because they weren't mentally ready to play this game they weren't locked down on defense Langford didn't look mentally ready to go he took poor shots and if you don't have the talent to beat other teams, you have to mentally and use your will to beat them. And I think this is where you get the question as to what team is going to show up night tonight A mentally prepared team mm-hmm. or one that's going to come in sloppy and lackadaisical?
1: I'd like to think Michigan State is a team that, yes, all those circumstances that you listed, Ryan, you know, the injuries, the players that weren't there, players that fall out. I'd like to think that this Michigan State team is the team that wins even though because of all of that. They go through all this, but they push through mentally and they, you know, you know break barriers and do all this stuff, but they weren't. And that That shocked me because they're that team that I'd like to think pushes through that mentally. But if they can't do that, going into Big Ten conference games is going to be a big struggle for them.
3: And that's exactly the thing is this is this is a tough six game stretch. We talked about it. Six straight top, you know, good major conference battles. They went two and one in the first two uh, three. And now they play two Big Ten games in Big Ten T-season, like I said. Rutgers on the road, come home against Iowa, and then you travel on the road to Florida. So this is going to be a big stretch for this team, especially with, hey, how do they respond after the loss? So like I said, we I think we did learn a lot about this team in the last three games. We're going to learn even more in the next three. So strap in because Michigan State – Travels to Rutgers Friday. 6 p.m. is the tip off that's on Big Ten Network. And you may think, ah, just Rutgers. But hey, Tom Izzo says this is a Rutgers team that's much improved from last year.
0: Size again, you know, it's seven foot, six ten, six eight, six four, and five guards. So for some reason, we've hit this stretch of uh, a lot of teams that are very, very big. Louisville wasn't, but as we know, Texas was. Kansas was, and, um, UCLA was the biggest, so, uh, you know, they bring that, I think they're very well coached, I think Steve's a great coach, they're very defensive, it reminds me of my teams my early days here, very tough, physical, defensive team, that is getting better offensively, and uh, they've got a couple of very good players from last year, they've got a few new guys, and, um, they're playing well play tonight against Miami, but they're playing well. they're often better starts.
3: So the first thing Tom Izzo mentions as far as what to watch for with Rutgers is size. And we saw Michigan State play against some size in UCLA and just wallop them. but those were kind of thin sized guys. I mean, they played against a guy who was tall and wide in kansas and strode a little bit so again this is a good situation i think for michigan state to be in early on in the season to learn a little bit of hey how do they handle this kind of situation i know watching rutgers over the last couple of years michigan state's had some battles with them last year they win 64 to 54 on the road in piscataway and that was also one of these early early season one of those Weird, like, hey, we're gonna play two Big Ten games right after Thanksgiving, but then you're gonna go back and play uh, Green Bay and those teams. Michigan State won that game, but by ten. I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys remember, but that was the one where Nick Ward only played eleven minutes, and that was the big thing with Nick <laughs> Nick Ward and Tom Izzo, if you will. Um, but then Michigan State comes back and in January plays against Rutgers. That was that week that they lost to Ohio State and Michigan, and in sandwiched in between was an overtime win over Rutgers at home. So Michigan State had two absolute dogfight battles against Rutgers last year, and I think they very well might be in for another one this season.
2: I think this is this is an interesting Rutgers team. I don't know if they have the scoring to keep up, but that length and athleticism is, is going to be key. You see, look at the struggle against Texas. I mean, not the same team. But this is something that Michigan State's gonna to have to work past. Especially this to me is gonna be a game for Nick Ward. He was he in that last game against Louisville, look at the stat line and it looks okay, but he was MIA for portions of that game. Mm-hmm. There are points where you're like, where's Nick Ward? He can't wasn't getting positioned down low, and this is gonna be a game where he's gonna to have to show that he can he can fight down low and get his shot off.
3: And I like the way that Rutgers I mean, Geo Baker is a guy that last year as a freshman really impressed me. Uh another guy Eugene Omorui. That's how it's spelled. Sorry. Um, I
2: think you were, you were like good,
3: Omorui?
1: and then he
2: really stretched out Omorui? the e and, and just kind of went away
1: from just gotta it. Just got to act like you're confident in it, and then it'll be fine. Eugene. Yep. <laughs>
3: That's, we're just going to call him Eugene. 15 points a game for him, eight, almost nine rebounds a game. Uh, and then Baker shooting 47% from three. This team actually shoots the three pretty well. So talk about size, talk about three-pointers. I think Michigan State's in for a tough one. This Rutgers team, again, this is not just normal old Rutgers. I think Steve Peichel, even though, I mean, it's tough to win in the Big Ten. Steve Peichel is a good coach, and Tom Izzo mentioned that there in that clip. They were under 500 last year, only three Big Ten wins, but they're going to be tougher this year, and they're 5-1. and one. They just beat Miami in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. I law, lo- I-, I think Michigan State wins, but 67-59, to 59, another one of those low-scoring games. It's on the road. I don't know if Matt McQuaid will travel again. So that's where I think it will be a little tighter than Michigan State would be comfortable with, but eight-point win for the Spartans. Amanda,
1: what say you? I think the Spartans come out with some fire and some flair considering – you know, not that they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder, but they are going to play with some energy and, and, you know, just kind of like, hey, you know, that happened, but we're moving on and we're going to we're gonna play our game again, find themselves a little bit. And you're going to have Matt McQuaid, um, hopefully, and Winston on the floor the whole time. So I'm going to go 75-65, MSU takes the win.
2: I'm going to go with Michigan State with the win in this one. I think they take it 78-62. Ooh. Uh, I feel like Big Michigan marks. State's going to come out and they're going to get the offense flowing in this Mm -hmm. one. I think this is a game that you have to correct some of the issues you had, and I think Langford's going to have a bigger game, and Nick Ward will have a bigger game. I I think both of those guys, at least looking at that Louisville game, will recognize that they need to take a step up, and Langford has shown that he can do it. He just has to be more consistent game to game, and Nick Ward has to show that he can battle against some guys who have some length on him.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ward hasn't necessarily shown that in the big games yet this year, whereas Langford, we saw it in that championship-type atmosphere against Texas. So um, playing within themselves, certainly important there. Then Michigan State comes back, gets to play at home, and most importantly, gets to be broadcast on the wonderful airwaves of Impact 89 FM. How about that? Michigan Smash. State and Iowa will have a showdown Monday. That is December 3rd, of
2: course.
1: Merry Christmas.
2: Oh, man. <laughs>
1: Now we can actually talk about Christmas, though. Literally, I will allow it because it's December. It's time. I
2: will allow it. Also, shameless plug: you want to learn my top Christmas songs? Tune in to the Green and White Report Sunday.
1: Oh, oh gosh. that's
2: right. That is a, a bunch
1: of shoutouts today, Jillian. That,
2: that is a, uh, a a big moment, I think, for you. It, it is. I think everyone needs to check in. It's a lot of shoutouts today. I'm multifaceted. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we're we're just shouting everybody out. Um, Shout out to all our listeners, by the way. Thank you for listening. Uh, but yes. Iowa comes into the Breslin Center. Tip-off is at 6.30 p.m. You don't want to watch it on Fox Sports 1. You want to listen to 88.9 FM in the Lansing area as Ryan Cole and Julian Mitchell, the dulcet tones of Julian Mitchell, might I add, <laughs> will call that game from the Breslin Center. I, I, I'm i so excited to get to call it live Um your first live play-by-play action on the Impact airwaves, by the way. My second, but um, wow, it's
2: it's Are gonna be excited? fun. Man. This is, I'm excited. I'm a little, little nervous. We're gonna Aww. gonna try out my little phrases. See if people <gasps> like them. <laughs> Feedback always appreciated. Always appreciated. <laughs> always appreciated. We're gonna we're gonna have to put a lot of print. Feedback
1: via Twitter and then we can oh, yeah. rate we can rate your guys' I'll rate your guys' broadcast next week.
2: Uh my Twitter
3: is at Amanda underscore 1815. <laughs> send all negative tweets there. But send your positive <laughs> ones to at Ryan underscore Cole nine and uh and young Julian Mitchell over there.
2: Yes. Did, wow, you had Amanda but so don't have mine. At
3: okay. J underscore Mitchell. <laughs>
2: 25. Oh, there we go. Let's wow. go. Took, oh. a, took a little bit of thought when oh, you got go. it. Wow, we close.
3: It. Let's go. Hey, we're all fans of the underscore. I like it. Michigan State Iowa. Iowa comes in undefeated. One of the surprise teams I think in the country, 6 and 0 so far, just won in the Big 10 AC Challenge against Pittsburgh held on there in uh, Carver-Hawkeye Arena. Last year Michigan State took on Iowa and If you had the under in this one, I am sorry. It was ninety six to ninety three Spartans on the road at Iowa City, and I have a feeling this is another high scoring one because Iowa's got some guys that can score. But defense, it's it's better this season, but it's still something that this Hawkeye team can get better at.
2: I agree. Yeah, they definitely they vastly improved on the defensive end, at least from last season. But it is a point that they they could slow down against Michigan State. They haven't, nec- I mean, they've played teams like Michigan State, so we'll see how this goes on the defensive end. But they got players who can score. You look at a Ty- Tyler Cook down low, an explosive forward down low, and mm-hmm. that's going to be something to guard for Nick Ward, a guy who isn't you're necessarily a post-up guy, but a guy who is willing to jump out of the gym against you, and that's going to be a tough guy to guard. And then Luca Garza, mm-hmm. I mean, he's shooting threes, other guys who can shoot threes on this team. This is going to be, this is a great offensive team, and I think, team to me that has been a big surprise this season much
3: improved for Fran McCaffrey this year
1: yeah I just this team is I think it's a very athletic team and Michigan State's just gonna have to step up play their game not have as many turnovers as they have been recently and especially Nick Ward is just gonna have to step up in his game because we just haven't seen him do as well as you know everybody said he was gonna do lately
3: to me, this is a little more of a track meet kind of game as opposed to that Rutgers game. Rutgers, I said, what, 67, 59? I'm going way higher in this one. 87 to 78, Michigan State wins on their home floor at the Breslin Center, of course. And yeah, I just I see it as another one of those high scoring games. Maybe not into the nineties like last year, but eighty seven, seventy eight, Michigan State wins it. But this is an Iowa team. I mean, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a good showdown for sure.
1: I think it'll be a really energetic game on MSU's end just because they'll be back home after a lot of road games. Um, So my prediction is 88-75 MSU wins. High scoring, I just think the energy in the Breslin is just something different that they're going to have missed and be ready to uh, please their fans.
2: I am going to go with a score of 85-80 Michigan State in this one. I agree. Mm -hmm. I think this is going to be one that's going to run up and down. I think – Michigan State, of course, loves to run it out in transition, and I think Iowa has a team that can run as well, and they're going to try and move it up the floor, and it's going to go back and forth.
3: Fun fact, you picked 85-80 for Michigan State over UCLA. You're you're a fan of those multiples of five, by the way. I like it. A lot of your picks. (laughs) A lot of your picks. I'm just looking at them, uh, and, of course, I look at them because I'm not ashamed. You know why? I'm leading in the standings. Oh my. Mm-hmm. It's rigged. Everybody, it's it is rigged. rigged. We're all four and one. <laughs> I just have a better feel for the margin of victory. Okay. Now, we all had Michigan State beating Louisville. That didn't happen. Whoops. Mm. So, um, yeah. Well, I guess we'll see with the uh, Rutgers and Iowa, but Big Ten T season, it's on. And of course, Christmas season yes. is, is on. Yes. Like I said, I'll allow it. It's after Black Friday. It's okay. It's okay, your 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 Instagrams, your Snapchats have been unbelievable, Amanda. Like I know, it snows. It snows like there's like a trace of snow and, oh my <laughs> gosh, it's snowing, isn't it? The most yes. beautiful sight the world has ever
1: seen. Yes. Oh my gosh, I had my like hood on for my parking today and I couldn't see anything. And I was trying to take the video, and it, I almost slipped on ice. It was so funny the things I do for my followers. The
3: things I do. Wow. Well, this follower appreciates yeah. it now that it's after Black Friday. <laughs> I didn't before that, but I do now. And we do appreciate you tuning in to the Impact Is Own podcast, as we always do. Tweet at us, hashtag Impact Is Own, and subscribe on iTunes, of course. We're on impact89fm.org slash sports. For Julian Mitchell and Amanda Poole, this has been Season 6, Episode 6 of the Impact Is Own podcast. Thank you for tuning in.
0: Huge game for both teams, but especially Michigan State.